This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our reading from the life of Jesus today is found again in Matthew's Gospel. Today we're reading in the 16th chapter. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and must undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And then Jesus told his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I hope you could catch uh, something of the drama of that moment in that gospel reading. Uh, make sure I set it up a little bit for you. The disciples are, are at high in their, in their ministry and in their life with Jesus. They're, they have been following Jesus for about two and a half years now. Uh, every moment hasn't been perfect, but in those two and a half years, uh, the whole movement is taking on popularity. People are following more and more people. Every day seems a little better, or at least a more complete than the day before. Uh, Jesus had turned water into wine in a little place called Cana, and the whole town broke out in a wedding party. He uh, healed a little girl named Tabitha in a town called Joppa, and he, he fed five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people in Galilee when they were all hungry one day. He calmed, literally calmed the sea. Two weeks ago, Peter walked out on water out to Jesus in the middle of the sea. And last week, Peter announced to everyone that Jesus was the Messiah, And Jesus admitted it for the first time. He said, yes, I am. So they've been on this trajectory. This is the penultimate kind of moment. Imagine for a little bit how they feel, how great, how secure, how spiritual, how optimistic they are about the future. Everything is just kind of going there. Things are looking really good until this moment. And Jesus gathers them together and says, I have to go to Jerusalem. I must. And I'm going to undergo great suffering, and it's going to be suffering at the hands of our spiritual brothers and sisters, the chief priests and scribes and the elders, and I'm going to be killed. And then he says that little part that you know makes sense to us now, and on the third day rise. I'm not sure they got it. Talk about you know, really being blindsided by something. They're, they're, they're visibly shaken by this idea, and you can almost hear the gears turning in their head. 
what happened to the, to the power? What happened to all the miracles? He's constantly talking about this coming kingdom of God. What happened to the coming kingdom? And this isn't the way things are supposed to happen, Jesus. I didn't give up everything to follow someone who's gonna get scourged and beaten and spit on and crucified. Now seriously, I think that they may never even have considered that Jesus would even die, ever, ever much less intentionally suffer and humiliatingly die. So it's a big moment for them. It's a big change. It's a big shift in the direction. I, I, I think a lot of folks, um, when they start the journey of church, uh, go on kind of a similar kind of journey. It, it may never actually cross someone's mind when they join a church that what they're going to be asked to do is to sacrifice and humble themselves and deny themselves and follow Jesus. One of the most challenging uh, thoughts that uh, my wife Ann and I are exploring these days is that in just a few months, we for the first time in our life are gonna have to look for a church. We've never done that, ever, ever. Only time I ever looked for a church, I was a freshman in college, I walked outside the dorm, there was these cute co-eds passing out little cards that said, please come to the Lutheran Center this Sunday. I said, I'm in. That sounds good. And I was already in seminary when Ann Ann and I met. We have literally never tried to find a church. So everything I know about trying to find a church has all been about observation. When people join a church, from my observation, it's kind of about, they have like a list of, of what we want or what they might mistakenly say they need. And the list is something like comfort or nurture or ease or inspiration or community joy, some sense of outreach or purpose. Um, in, in some very real way, we want a church to do something, to be something for us as we join. We want a youth group or a, a children's program. We want a certain kind of music or a certain kind of choir. We want some kind of ministry to do that. We often want a, a pastor to, to do something for us. We're playing with a little word game right now at Lord of Life Church to say, maybe we shouldn't talk about becoming a member. Maybe we should say, you become a partner with us because member sounds so different than, than partner. And I'm kind of serious about this, but have you ever known anybody who, when they were looking for a church, said something like, I'm looking for the absolutely worst church I can find? I'm, look, I'm looking for one that's got horrible attendance, the one that's got a really crappy building, one that can't pay their bills, one that's got like no future, no one wants to go there. That's the kind of church that I'm looking for. And, and I'm trying to name this for everybody. That's part of what everybody's starting to worry about pastoral vacancies here at Lord of Life Church is what if what they were looking for was me and me ain't here. How many people look for a church that will use most of their time and most of their energy and most of their prayer and most of their their money. It usually just doesn't work that way. When we have new member class, one of the first things we do is we say in this exploring Lord of Life, why are you here? What is it about Lord of Life Church? And we hear all these great things about Lord of Life Church. No one has ever said, y'all need some help. And I've been called to deny myself and I can help. Uh, Well, our dreams about what church should be, which is typically what I want it to be, just don't always match Jesus' dream. And sometimes we pastors have trouble saying that out loud. Uh, so leave it to Peter. Uh, it, Peter plays the same role in nearly every 
piece of scripture in Matthew, at least. Uh, leave it to Peter to say what the rest of the people are thinking. Peter takes Jesus aside. That's what Matthew says. And I won't let that sit right in there because I just started laughing the first time I read that. Peter takes the Son of God aside. Well, that, think what that sounds like for a moment. Um, a few weeks ago, I had this experience in, in our church office. We just put up some decals. We've been a reconciling in Christ congregation for more than a decade. And we just thought that if you're walking in the door and you're not sure you're welcome here, but maybe it'd be nice to have a decal that had a heart and some rainbow and said RIC on it. And we had it up like two weeks. And then um, I came into the office and I had a voice message on my voicemail from about midnight. And it was an anonymous person. And at some point, the person said, you should read your Bible pastor. Oh, and called the church, I think this is true now, um, anonymously, used a few expletives, and then told the pastor that the pastor ought to read the Bible. Peter takes Jesus aside, really, and says to Jesus, no way, Lord, Forbid it, Lord. This ain't never going to happen to you because that is not the way I want it to be and that's not going to happen. That's patently Peter. Patent Peter communication in your face to the point and typically wrong. And Matthew says that uh, Peter actually rebuked Jesus. That's a pretty strong word. The Son of God. Rebuked the Son of God. No, 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 Jesus. We'll make it happen our way. Your way is not the way we want it. Now, you, gotta, you really do have to appreciate people like, like Peter because um, it's not always pretty, but at least they're truthful and they speak to you directly about that and you always know where they stand. So when, when, when Jesus heard Peter doing that, he recognized the voice that he was hearing. He'd heard it before. Uh, it, was, it was eerily reminiscent of his temptation when he was out in the wilderness. The promise of power and wealth and satisfying all of your needs, getting everything you want. That's, that's, that's exactly what the devil promised Jesus out in the wilderness. And so Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me. And the irony is that a week ago, Peter is the rock on which I'm going to build the church. And this week, Peter is a stumbling block. Get behind me, Satan, in one week. And so how does that happen? That's the question. Peter could not catch the vision, could not understand, could not under internalize or get the power, the vision of being a servant, a sacrificial servant. That is, of course, what we're, we're called to do, all of us. We're called to do that. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to follow him. Now, that phrase, I think, is one of the hardest phrases in all of Scripture, and I, I, I remember when I heard it first, I was an adolescent, and at that point, it's just really not where I had Jesus pictured. It sounded like a, an angry adult to me. Um, it didn't sound like the Jesus that I knew. Get behind me, Satan. Hmm. On the one hand, it sounds like he's ripping him. He said so strongly, something like, get lost, Peter, get behind me, you clown. And honestly, that is the way I think most people usually hear it. But I want to suggest another possibility to you. It's a, it's a very different way of thinking about it. Jesus could, in fact, be calling Peter, and it could be calling Satan, and it could be calling all of those disciples and all of us to just assume our proper place to, to follow Jesus, to get in line, to get behind Jesus, 
and follow his example. Get behind me, Peter. Fall in line, Satan. Come on, Jim. I'm in charge here. This is the way it's going to go. I'm washing feet. I'm sacrificing for the sake of others. Just get behind me and follow. I think it could be heard as a call to follow Jesus. If you want to be first, you're absolutely in the wrong place when you come to church because Jesus calls us all to be at the end of the line and to serve each other. If you're here just to have your needs met, you're frankly in the wrong place. They will be met, but Jesus is going to call you to start meeting the needs of others as well. If you want to control and do things your way and only your way, this is absolutely the wrong place because frankly we've already got a Lord and our job is to sacrifice. See, the, the church, in the church, we say that we have died that we've died to our wants and our needs and our desires. We died once in baptism and we die every day we remember our baptism. We actually literally say we drowned in the waters of baptism so that we can live for Christ. That's one of the actual visions of the church, that we are a community of Christ, so confident in God's radical, relentless love and what God has done for us that we're able to share it, we're able to give it away because there's always enough for us in Christ. So that's our vision, not to hoard the love of God, not to just consume the love of God, but to share the love of God with the world. It's not what I want, and it's not what I like, and it's what God wants. I also think it has something to do with our daily labors as much as it does our our church labors. This weekend we give thanks for our labors, for our vocations, uh, the means by which God gives us our daily bread. And I suspect that most of us don't do that nearly enough. And that's probably the danger of not observing the Sabbath, and that's the danger of coveting our neighbor's things, is that we don't take time enough just to be thankful that we have jobs and we have fruitful things to do with our lives. And those fruitful things are what's called a vocation, right? Whether you're paid for it or not, it is your vocation. And your, your vocation becomes um, a mission field. It's a, it's a place where, where we deny ourselves and take up our cross and we, we sacrificially reach out with the love of God for others. And as such, our vocation, our, our, our work, our labors are, are places that can provide us enormous satisfaction. Not just at church, but in our daily life. Um, I don't think they ever covered this in business school. In fact, I'm certain they didn't. That I can gain the whole world and not be happy. And I can deny myself and be satisfied. Lose your life for God. Love God. Love your neighbor. Jesus promises that whoever loses their life for God's sake, not the sake of their family, not the sake of some corporation, not the sake of the community or the country or anything like that, but whoever gives up their life for his sake, will find true life. That's the promise of God. If we die with Christ, then we can live with Christ. Now, that's a, that's a paradox, uh, and I don't, I don't think that's a big enough word, frankly. It's, it's kind of a seminary word, a paradox, because really it turns everything upside down, um, and it goes against nearly everything that you've been, been taught. Tell you something happened to me at seminary this week. Um, I'm teaching a class for the first time in a while. And uh, one of the things that Dr. Barger, President Barger, did in his seven-year tenure as president was there's a bunch of stairwells at Trinity, and there's one elevator. And so if you're smart, you'd never use the elevator anyway. Just do stairwells. Well, stairwells for 40 years have just been gray, just gray stairs. And he uh, had pictures hung in all the stairwells. Uh, icons, pictures of Jesus, crosses, so that you can't go up or down the stairs that you don't see something. 
And uh, I went up the back stairwell and right before walking into my class and on the wall I noticed for the first time was a picture of Mother Teresa. Hmm. Lutheran Seminary, Mother Teresa. And I started to think, you know, I can't hardly imagine her writing a book that says something like looking out for number one or making the church bigger and better and great or I want to be a good preacher. I can't imagine it. Uh, Can you imagine anyone who had a more difficult, more emotionally draining or underappreciated profession than what she did? Caring for and living with the poorest of poor in the world just to share the love of Christ. And let's go the other way. Can you imagine anybody was more satisfied, more content? When you read, when you read her diaries, and I don't mean happy like every moment was always great and just but felt confident in what she was doing. Her, um, her fellow sisters have, um, have just released uh, writings of Mother Teresa, which is really cool. What about 40 of them did was say, I'm going to put down some of my memories of Mother Teresa and we'll... We'll share it with the world. And I, I just, just read it. It's really good. She, she died in 1997. And one of her uh, sisters shared the story that in her last week when she's dying on her deathbed, one of the last things she said to her was, I can't wait till I get well and can go back to work. <laughs> Most of us really don't want a long weekend to end. It's a very personal lesson for me today. I hope it rings somewhere in your life. Get in line, Jim. Get behind Jesus, Jim. Deny yourself. Just take up your cross and follow him. Amen.